we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hi. Hello. So, today on the podcast, we have Layla. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, second time. I saw you are saying hi to me. So, hello to you, Hannah, and hello to everyone who's listening. Yes. So tell us, Layla, where did you grow up? I grew I, um I was born in Tehran. It's the capital city of Iran. And just to give you a bit of picture, Tehran has, um, it's, while it's a very small city, just maybe a bit bigger than Brisbane. However, over 25 million people lives there, which is equivalent to Australian population. That's how busy it is. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that sounds like a lot of noise. <laughs> And just crossing the street, you know how you cross the street here and people, when you are just on the pedestrian line and the car are supposed to stop and they usually do, Yes. you cross the street in Iran and just go to the other side of the street alive. <laughs> That's magic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I love, love that idea. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> just check. I'm all good. I went there. Um, I've been in Australia since 2000. So I've been here most of my life. Last time when I went to Iran, I wasn't able to cross the street by myself. So someone had to accompany me because... I didn't know how to do it. So, yeah. Because yeah. you're so used to Australia yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. You're an Australian. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. So, how did you get into the disability sector? I remember when I was studying um, in higher school, I was really good at numbers. And um, everyone thought that's where my pathway is going to be. And that's where my family invested you know, for my education, just to go to university, do some kind of accounting, engineering or something like that. And I was in year 11. I was like, I want to be a psychologist. Everyone was against that idea. And they were like, because back those days, like 25, 26 years ago, it wasn't really a high-class job to be a psychologist or a counsellor, really. Especially we are talking about, you know, a country like Iran, where mental health is very, you know, stigmatised. So everyone was against it, but I was like, I'm going to refuse going to university and studying and just because you are not supporting me. So then I moved here in Australia and... They were like, okay, doing something is better than not doing anything. So they were like, 
just do what you like to do. And I started studying psychology. I finished my degree, four years degree um, in psychology at Griffiths University. And then the, Griff the opera, which is the registration body for psychology, asked me to do my second English test, IELTS. And they wanted me to, to have seven out of nine in across all the domain that I was studying. I wasn't able to pass my writing. 6.5 instead of seven. Ah, I no. tried it twice. Everything else was perfect. Like Not perfect, but it was like eight, 8.5, 7.5. But writing, did it twice. 6.5, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it again. So I decided I'm going to do Master of Social Work. And I completed that at uh, Southern Cross University. And I've been a social worker for the last two years. Amazing. Yes. And so tell me a little bit about some of the jobs you've had. Yeah, I started with my psychology degree, which the job I was offered didn't have anything to do with it. But that's the best I could get as a migrant, the second language. And um, yes, there is a stigma, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that it's not talking about. But anyway, um, I'm fortunate because I learned through each job that I had. I've been working as a support worker, case manager, early intervention, homelessness, working with migrants. I've done a bit of everything and everything gave me experience, which I really, really appreciate. I'm who I am with all the experience that I have because of every single job opportunity that I was offered. I worked for big organizations and then I decided just less than two years ago that I'm going to be independent. And I met yourself, Hannah, at one of those big organizations and yes. the friendship and yeah, started there, which I really appreciate it. It's been great. Oh, thank you. Opportunity, yes. I love you as a friend. Like, it, I think you're such an awesome person and I wish so often people would look past, like, your accent essentially because that's that's all that that is sort of in the way. Yeah. And it drives me nuts so often that people cannot, see beyond that accent and I don't understand it because you are so passionate and you go above and beyond for your participants and you are so so good at it and so it just I I often am in despair when people are horrible to you because they really do get <laughs> horrible. I have witnessed it several times, dear listeners, and <laughs> I sometimes cringe and and just want to say to Layla, you know, this is, you know, I'm from the same culture as these horrible people, but I am not them. <laughs> and, you know, um, I really appreciate your positive feedback and I really value um, the relation. But to be honest, you know, we can't, that's part of the social work and I guess psychology and that's what I learned throughout the years. We can't change everyone. And 
so I've got a good um, network of people that I'm working with who are appreciating of who I am. Um, a funny story about my accent. I used to work for a big provider when I was a support worker like 10 years ago. It's called Aftercare. I think they changed name these days. I remember I was calling um, different places and introducing myself. Hello, it's Leila from Aftercare. And they are like, from Africa? <laughs> no, I'm from Aftercare. <laughs> so it was so funny. Um, yeah. It was they thought probably I'm one of those spam caller from, you know, international yeah. spam caller. That was so funny. But I guess in the positive note, my older son was telling me the other day that my accent becoming more Aussie. And I was like, <laughs> yes. should I take it as more as a compliment or? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's super lovely. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. I, you have done so well in your business out on your own. Um, I love it. Yeah. You know, when you love something. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, having my, you know, having my lived experience as well as my social for worker hat on, just doing what I'm doing is just give me so much passion that we are working with vulnerable people. I feel very fortunate that they let us into their life because um, it's a very fragile space to be honest and it's not easy to trust people in your journey so I feel quite privileged being part of their life yeah it's not permanent yeah it's just for a period of time but even for that period yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and now you're venturing off into Sealand. I am I am very my passion is mental health it's always been mental health and um even when i was in year 11 so whatever i've done it's been around mental health so my caseload around support coordination is for people with psychosocial disability so um i've got like six people with psychosocial disability in my caseload and then i thought i would like to offer very small um number of seal houses just offering it to people with psychosocial disability where we can get their staff who are trained in that area i don't like or me and my business partner we don't like to grow and just have you know houses everywhere it's just going to be very few houses where we are just going to concentrate on mental health and psychosocial disability participants with psychosocial disability yes so that i'm very very excited about that yeah it's, yeah watch their space on that one yeah that's, i'm i'm really excited about yeah. it too i think you're both going to be amazing because we've seen th through being support coordinators we've seen some really good still, but mostly really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you just you know what doesn't work, and so you've got an opportunity to create sill that is amazing, yeah. and is also where you're focusing on just sill. You're not you're not doing like community access and. You're not doing in-home support and, and this and that and this and that and everything under the sun. You're doing still and that way you're going to do it really well 
because you know the ins and outs of sill because that's all, all you kind of do in that I business. definitely know what's not working well and definitely are going to avoid just implementing what's not working well. And being a support coordinator for the last four years just gave me the insight of working, you know, and the experience to work with so many different still provider and just having a big list of what not working well and just growing, you know, so quickly is just one of them, definitely. That's where you lose the quality and not listening to people. I like to meet with all my participants. I like to be part of their life, listen to them, see what their goals are and how we can improve. And it's not just the participants that we are talking about with the guardian, you know, that's what's happening having open communication with them. So definitely, yes, that's that's something that um, me and my business partner, Jules, are very, very excited about. Um, he's got so many years experience in the community sector as a support worker as well. And as you said, we are just going to concentrate on SEAL and we, we would like to make sure that the quality is there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So people, we are going to support people in their recovery journey. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. Now, we wanted to talk a little bit about a case that has that you've been working on because you've got a a young one who is in later primary school with fairly severe behavior um challenges. Yep. Um which are definitely not their fault. Yeah. Um I really think a big part of that issue has been the adults in the situation. Yeah. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I'd really like to highlight this so that people understand the difficulty that a lot of us have between the interaction of NDIS and the Department of Education. Yeah, sure. Um the beauty of me having my social hat on when I'm doing support coordination is just, you know, I would say I could be a um, too much advocate sometimes. <laughs> and I guess that's what you said earlier. I can, you know, I, I sometimes I just do something out to, outside of a scope of support coordination role. And, you know, for me, it's just the people and their quality of life. And if something needs to be done, it needs to be done. Um, so I've been working uh, with this family, with a young person who's got level three autism. She's got a diagnosis of ADHD. And um, you just keep your eyes off her and she will be on the roof. Um, and she's, um, she's not verbal. And when I engaged with the family, the family were quite, um, they were not open to any support. They were very close family. And it took me a long time to build that relationship and gain their trust um, at the time. And I'm not surprised why they couldn't trust me because um, they had so many providers like OT, speech therapists. They worked off you know, away from them saying, it's too complex, we can't help you, sorry, we are out. They had um, a school, when she was going to a school, it, uh, and she was like year two or three, she was going to a school and mom would get phone call, and it was a public school, a special unit. 
mom would get a phone call from the school at least three, four times per week, come and pick her up. We don't know what to do with her. And then they decided they are going to enroll her in more specialized school, and which they did. And um, obviously it cost them some money, which they were happy to pay for it as long as it was special. Unfortunately, that, um, that enrollment didn't work out either. That arrangement didn't work out either. And um, the school still services. They said they are no longer able to support her because of the behavior of concern. They said at time they had three teachers just working together with this young lady managing the behavior of concern. It's not safe for her. It's not safe for the staff. It's not safe for the school and the teacher and the other student. So that enrollment didn't work out. Which to me is kind of, it blows my mind just like just there. The story does go on a bit, but to start there, Three people, three adults in front of one child, I absolutely understand why that child would be screaming. Yeah. I, would, I would be screaming because you, you don't understand what's going on. Why are these big adults around me? What is happening? And it's, it's scary. Yeah. And so by putting more, like, one or t- maybe two people should have been trained enough to be able to keep one young person from, like, if they're trained well, it shouldn't have been able to escalate. Yeah. And to the point where you have to have three. Like, that That to me is such an overreaction and shows a lack of understanding, a lack of training. Yeah. It's it's awful. Yeah. Um, so I just really <laughs> wanted to drive that home to everyone because it it really upsets me that yeah. that was even thought like this will be a good idea. Yeah. Um, so yes. So then she she's gone to she went to a different. She went to another special school. Yes. And where the family were promised she's going to stay here. We are going she's going to finish year 12 here. We all are trained no problem. None of the you know whatever happened in the past is not going to be repeated again. And all of a sudden um we are having, you know, concerns from a school raising that the behavior are so complicated and the school is not able to offer full-time education to this person. And yeah, and I guess as a social worker, I'm like this person or the family haven't chose for this person to be disabled. And I totally understand that the other students and the staff need to be safe. I totally get that part as well. However, at the same time, where in this world, where this in this universe, people like my young participants have a right to live. What's their rights? You she, know, she has a right to an education. And in and Australia, we say, you know, 
every child has a right to an education. Yeah. And so, like, this, first of all, this this also is, is the second part that, that makes me seriously angry. But that's not all. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> yes. She's extremely underfunded by NDIS because they believe looking after her, it's the parental res- responsibility. Last time, we, yeah, I'm not going to share more because uh, I want to keep it confidential. But yes, the NDIS, we are fighting with NDIS on plan review and trying to gather evidence to say how complex it is and it's beyond parental responsibility and they need to look into it. And having NDIS as a federal you know, um, agency and having the Department of Education as a state agency, that's the le- next level of the complexity, how we can make them to communicate with each other and just realize you know, how much this family are struggling and they are breaking up. They've yeah. got nothing more to give. Yeah, which basically. makes total sense yeah. that they are at the end of their rope because they've trusted everyone along the way and everyone has let them down. I mean, other than you so far, but there's only, you know, even us, there's only so much, much we, we can, can affect. Do. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the she's... She's then, okay, she's only, can only do a part-time enrolment and then the other days of the week that she's not at school or the other hours, depending on how they organise it, the N- we then need the NDIS to come in and say, yes, we'll get support in on those days. But the NDIS says that children are not to have support workers between the um, hours of nine and three because we expect children to be at school. But what if they're not at school because the schools can't deal with it? Because and, of their disability. And they they are supposedly trained professionals. How are the parents who are not trained prof- professionals meant to look after this child? It is It is really frustrating and mind-boggling that neither part of this equation can see the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, where, what the other thing that frustrates me, you see the inconsistency in the NDIS system itself. Someone in the same condition get far more better funding and then someone else is just left behind. And you're like, okay, I can see both cases where is the consistency? What should we do more to get the same, you know, level of support for both participants with the same level of, you know, dysfunction on a daily life because of their disability? Yeah. yeah. So it's just complex in every and frustrating in every level you can think of. Yeah. 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 And it also highlights that sometimes the education department can't cater to everybody but it should. <laughs> and, and like, we know that. I have, we homeschool one of our children now because the schools have let us down. Yeah. And our child doesn't even have that many complexities, but has enough complexities that schools have kind of gone, 
oh, we don't we don't really know how to teach to this child. Yeah. And it's it's so it is heartbreaking when you feel let down by the whole the whole system. system. Yeah. And the system that is supposed to help you the most. Yeah. You know? And it's it, it's just it's so, so frustrating. And I'm sure, you know, there are other cases like this. And I'm sure, you know, um, cases like this needs to be raised and discussed yeah. for the change in the system. Otherwise, you know, we had the main school to start with. And then throughout the years, there was changes and there was some alternative education system yeah. because they could see the needs. And right now, I guess we just um, facing another phase where they need to see, they need to do something, you know, differently. They, we need different system who people like my young participants is going to fit in. Yeah. And it's not going to be left out. And it's not just the education, it's the social interaction, it's the isolation, it's the mental health. She can't talk, but the sense of rejection. Yeah. That, you know, the word is not safe for me either. Yeah. And she can't communicate that yeah. with anyone. So, yeah. So I'm really hoping something change in coming years. And um, But at the moment, is the family are living it and they are impacted by it. And it's very frustrating, definitely for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think they're really lucky to have you um and to have someone backing them up because it's clear that they haven't had that before and I really appreciate what you said and you know what I say usually I say this all honestly I feel like the pleasure is mine to be part of their life you know again with so many people being in and out they were quite hesitant to trust me and I really appreciate that the trust was built two years ago and we can see some progress. It's not massive, but we can see some progress. I can see some, there are more parents than being a support coordinator now. And they can come back to me and just let me know what they need. And I can just go and source it out for them, you know. And yeah, so really the pleasure is mine for them to trust me. Yeah. The same as all my other participants. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It is part of you know, I love being a support coordinator. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's always funny to me when people say, oh, I could never be a support coordinator. And I just think it it cracks me up because I'm like, I could never do, you know, whatever you do. You and know, I could be a nurse or firefighter uh, or yeah. a police officer, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I... I couldn't be a support worker. It's the yeah. reason I'm not a support worker. Yeah. You know, I can't do that job. And so I often think it's it's very funny, but people often say it to me and I'm just like, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty awesome job. And it's great to be a social worker and support coordinator because you could be a social worker and working in homelessness. I don't want to do that. I don't want especially in you know right now with what's happening in Queensland with the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to work in that space. For me working in NDIS sector where you have the ability to, or you've got the resources to make changes. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I love and enjoy that. 
Yes. I mean, yeah. we could talk about <laughs> homeless, how homelessness interacts yeah. with the NDIS as well. It's not it good. definitely could, yes. <laughs> That's going to take the whole, another whole, you know, podcast, podcast perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to ask you the normal last question that I always love to hear. In your ideal world, what would the future of the NDIS look like? Fortunately or unfortunately, as a social worker again, <laughs> I always look for justice, right? And I look for people take responsibility for the action. I really like the planner to take some responsibility for the decisions that they are making because it's impacting someone's life, you know, um, not looking thoroughly through the evidence, the reports, the recommendation, and just come up with a plan that it's not suitable for the person. It's not, you know, it's not saving funding. It's not saving money, you know, for the NDIS. Instead, it's just waste of the funding where it could be used to support the participants where they need them, you know. So instead of just going and getting another OT report, behavior specialist report and just get further and further evidence and just waste the funding that could be there to support in elsewhere where it's needed, you know? And then, you know, yeah, I really like to have a planner to be appointed to each individual instead of just having different yes. planner each time. Yes, please. <laughs> so, and I would, I really like that the COVID is over the planner to come out and visit their participants in the community and see how their real life is look like for them. Then yes. they are going to be more realistic when they are going to make their decision. It's just not going to be X and Y and Z based on the OT report, are behaving like this. They go and see in person how it's, ex you know, actually it's look like. Yes. And then they be taken accountable and responsible for the decision they make when they are um, making decisions. You know, very, very, very a small, tiny example. When they just do a plan review and they just come back and they just change the support coordination or different type of funding agency managed without being requested. Yes. And that's hold and put pause on everything because as yes. a support coordinator, you can't move forward, really. Yes. There's no funding for you to support, you know, and to just engage with the participants unless you have to go and ask for another plan review. Again, that's waste of funding. So I really, you know, I believe, I truly believe if there is a planner assigned to a person, they spend time with the participant in the community, they visit them. And then they be taken accountable for the decision that they made. Uh, I think we are going to have a better plan and we don't need as many reviews as we need and including internal review or external review. And we can save a lot of money and use it in the right place. That's yes. what I want to see. Ah, I, I love this <laughs> in idea the ideal so much. world. <laughs> yes. I, One I day. think it's great. Like even, even like as a... As a halfway point to start with, I would be happy if they would just hold all the meetings in an office. Like stop phone call meetings and have them in an office and don't or 
also what annoys me is sometimes where they like spring it on the on a person and they just call and they go, oh, hi, so we just want to have a conversation and then it turns out that was the review meeting. Absolutely. And the participant had no idea or the mum and dad had no idea that was the review meeting and whereas if all of them were in an office and you could at least like at least at a There's minimum, a meeting. <laughs> there is a face-to-face yeah. meeting and go, these are all the things that we need. And that would that would even be a step up from phone calls. That would yeah. be a baby a step for my dream goal, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And then and then beyond that is yeah. obviously what Layla said. I definitely <laughs> want to say that. But as a first baby step. <laughs> Meetings in an office would be nice. Or another before your baby accept, maybe if they approve a plan before they, you know, even without that phone call that you mentioned, if they call someone and say there's a new plan. Yes. Because there are so many times there's a new plan and no one's been informed whatsoever. So we see that so often. Oh, my God. So there are so many baby steps. Again, if someone's been taken accountable for that decisions, I think they would do differently and they would do better. I agree. Yeah. We came a long way and there's a long way still to go. So that's for sure. Yes. Well, we just celebrated 10 years of the NDIS. Yay. So... I'm definitely looking forward to um, it getting better from here and it like everyone taking stock of the last 10 years and okay, we can, we can do better than this. So let's hope for that. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Layla, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Everyone, if you want to get in touch with Layla, her details will be in the episode description. So look out for that. Um, If you miss seeing that, you can always email me and I will give you Layla's details. But thanks for listening. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.